Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Florence Kwok. Chelsea is bringing the future of nails to your home. With a new semi-cured gel nail strip technology, Chelsea makes it easy to do curable gel nails at home without the typical dry time, nail damage, or high salon costs. Florence is the CEO and co-founder of Chelsea. She's previously worked on UX research and marketing at Meta, App Annie, and Intuit, and is a UC Berkeley graduate. Florence, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm excited to be here. (laughs) We're very excited to have you on as well. So let's jump right into it, Florence. We'd love to know, know what your upbringing was like. Where were you born and raised? And what was your childhood like? Yeah, so yeah, so my upbringing, I'm a first generation generation Asian American. My parents are immigrants from Hong Kong, so I'm Cantonese. I also speak Cantonese. I was born and raised in New Jersey, so I lived there pretty much up until high school, I would say. And then I moved to California um, when I was 15. So I finished off high school here. I would say my family was a very traditional Asian family. So my dad, he worked at the Hong Kong bank. He was very hardworking. I mean, yeah, he was like the breadwinner of the family. And then my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Both were very hardworking and they were like, I would say your stereotypical Asian tiger parents. So that has really, I guess, affected the way I was raised too. So I was internally very hard on myself, very competitive internally, I would say. I didn't have like the perfect GPA or the best GPA, but I would say I took like almost every AP class available in high school. I was also, I would say like growing up, I was also very shy. So I love like drawing, being creative. I was kind of like that shy, like quiet Asian girl. Yeah. So like any chance I would get, I would take like art electives or that was always like my elective of choice. And that was like my creative outlet, my stress reliever growing up away from all like the competitiveness of school on everything. So yeah, that's sort of like my upbringing in a nutshell. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I can definitely see that creative side to you. And I feel like for a lot of entrepreneurs, you do have to be creative in some ways. And I feel like a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we often think like, am I a creative person or am I not? And we tend to put ourselves into one bucket or the other, but you have to be creative in one way or another, right? Like I think all entrepreneurs are creative in one way or another. And so as you were growing up, did you always know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? Like you love just doing what you wanted to do or was it something that you kind of fell upon, you know, throughout your career? Yeah, I honestly never thought I would start a business at all. I only became exposed to entrepreneurship during college. So like I mentioned, my parents were very traditional. And so 
I always thought my career path was, you know, just like the typical stable career path. I went to school for psychology and media studies, and I was thinking oh, I was going to go to grad school for that and maybe do something in psychiatry. So yeah, I had no idea I wanted to start a business until college. And that's when I was exposed to it. So I met a lot of different people. And that's when I first met people that were doing businesses as, as a side hustle while they were doing school and they were making a ton of money from it. And that was so interesting to me and just watching how they moved and how they were. I, what I loved about it was that they not only had a very flexible schedule, but they got to be as creative as they wanted to with their business because essentially you can do whatever you want to really grow and scale your business. So it was really fun to watch my friends kind of build something from nothing and they were just students at the time. So yeah, getting that exposure, that really solidified that I did not want to go to grad school. And I pretty much knew after seeing that and being exposed to that, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. But yeah, I still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So I still ended up working after after college and always having entrepreneurship sort of in the back of my mind. And I would do random things like flip furniture or something like that on Facebook Marketplace and just try out different side hustles until I finally landed on e-commerce. So, Oh, nice. Yeah, I feel like for a lot of us who grew up in households that are not very entrepreneurial, it's like it. we definitely see things differently from a different lens where it's like, oh, I would never imagine myself to be an entrepreneur. That's the same way for me, too. Like I grew up in a family who was not entrepreneurial. My you know, father worked in the same company for over 40 years. My mom was a stay at home mom. So to them, like they were not entrepreneurs. And so for their children, for me and my sisters, it's like it was harder to introduce a concept of entrepreneurship to us as compared to someone who grew up in a household of entrepreneurs, right? Like if you see your parents being entrepreneurs, it's like easier for you to think like, I want to do what my parents did. You know, that's like something that I want to do. But I think it's it's really incredible that, you know, like you didn't even think that you were going to be an entrepreneur and you got introduced to it. And that was something that you, you know, decided or maybe like fancy the idea, like maybe like this is something that I would be interested in. But was Jelsey your first company? No, like I mentioned, I did a bunch of random things before. Uh I would sell things on Facebook Marketplace. That was the first time I got paid to do something sort of like on my own. Uh And after that, I while I was working still in tech, I I think I was working at App Annie at the time. That's when I started my own little business, I would say. I would run events for tech companies. I would like host yoga events, for example, for like their employees and things like that. I realized I didn't like hosting events just because it was a lot of work and it wasn't like a scalable business. So then I fell into e-commerce. That's when I started my um, beauty business. I had another business prior to that. It grew to a point where I was at the point where I, I was deciding whether I wanted to stay at my job or if I wanted to just do my business full time. And that's when I decided, I think it's time that I finally really just commit to this and do it full time. So I left App Annie and started doing my e-commerce business full time. And Then I met my co-founder, who's a nail artist, and this is sort of how Chelsea started. She's a nail artist by trade, and it was the pandemic at the time. And so nail salons were closed and people all over Facebook was like, I was already in a bunch of beauty Facebook groups from my other e-commerce business that I had. And everyone was looking for DIY like salon solutions or, or like an alternative to going to the salons since salons were closed at the time. 
So that's sort of how Jelsey started. We started selling press-on nails first. So the first iteration of Jelsey was totally not what it is today. And then me and my co-founder, we were like, oh, there has to be a better product because if you've ever used press-on nails, it's not really uh, like salon quality per se. It's like plastic, uh, sorry, little pieces of plastics that you glue onto your nail. So yeah. And so then we found this product, Semi-Cure Gel, and that's how we launched what Jelsey is today. Oh, wow. Yes. I have used the press-on nails and I, I just... Like for me personally, it's really hard for me to just do everyday tasks with press-on nails or anytime like I have acrylics on because mm-hmm. I like control over like my own nails. So for me, it's like it's really hard. And then when I found out that there was this new thing for like semi-cured nails, I was like, that is brilliant because it's it makes it so much easier and it just feels so much more comfortable. So I love that there's this whole new concept now and I feel like it's just way more like affordable as well. Like, and you like, if you use those press-on nails, you just have to like throw them away. But it's, I love the semi-care nails. And I just want to know, like, what was the first iteration like? And like, how did you kind of get that into the market? Because I feel like at that time when you guys had launched Chelsea, at that time, like not a lot of people knew about semi-care nails, right? Like people, a lot of people were still going to the salons. And I feel like a lot of people can't, give that up like some people just like going to the salons but you waste so much time like it's so much money but what was it like kind of introducing that product to the market yes so it is still very much a new product in the nail space so it actually came out in 2020 in korea so this is a korean inspired product and when we found out about this product we're like oh my god it makes so much sense it's a huge game changer because essentially what it is it partially cured gel so what you would normally get at the salon is the liquid gel but now it's in a sticker format and it already comes partially cured so the process of putting it on is a lot easier than if you were to do liquids or dip nails or, you know, nail polish at home. So you're getting that salon experience. Also, if you've used nail polish or anything like that, you know, it it is a messy experience, takes a long time to dry. It's not necessarily the best for your nails. It can cause damage when you remove them. And yeah, it was just a, not like the greatest user experience. So essentially what semi-cure gel is, it's bringing the salon grade gel, but now instead of liquid, it's a sticker format. So super easy to put on. And it usually takes me like 15 minutes to put on a full set of nails and then you cure it. So the gel is activated and cured, and then it hardens onto your nail, just like liquid, liquid gel would harden onto your nails. And so you're getting the same quality stuff, way easier to put on. And then the best part is that it doesn't damage your nails because there's a medical adhesive underneath the actual gel. So the gel doesn't actually touch your nails. So when, you, when you're ready to take it off, all you have to do is just peel it off and you just put non-acetone remover, comes right off. It's like a no soak off process. Whereas traditional liquid gel, you need to soak it off. If you're familiar with doing your nails, you'll know how that is. It takes a a while. And if you're not careful, you could end up damaging your nails and making it more brittle. So yeah, so that was kind of like a long-winded explanation, but basically it's a really good product. And in my opinion, it's a superior product to what was already you know, common practice in the nail space. And it's a huge upgrade from nail polish and even DIY nail stickers before, which was just made of polish, but now it's made of curable gel. 
So yeah, so that's when we heard about the product and it just made a ton of sense for us to bring it here in the US. So we were the first, one of the first movers to bring the product here in the US. We launched it in May of last year, 2021. So it's still relatively a new concept, I would say. A lot of people still don't know about it. And I'm just like, so, you know, my day-to-day is semi-cure gel. And so I was just in my bubble thinking that like so many people know about it. But when I step out of my bubble and when I like meet people just like in my day-to-day life, I, yeah, there's still, I realize that there's still a huge market of people who just have not heard about this product yet. So, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When you mentioned about how like it damages the press on nails, damages your, your actual nails, that happened to me as well. And like, you would have to use kind of like a cuticle stick to kind of push off the press on nails. And like my nails were damaged and it, I had to like wait for it to grow out. But I love how easy it is to kind of like remove the semi-cured nails. Just to kind of like talk about the entrepreneurship side to it. Like, what were some of the challenges when you had first started the company? And, you know, were there any kind of pushback on like people thinking like this product won't, it wouldn't be successful? I just want to know like what were the ups and downs when you had first started yeah and so one of the biggest issues and it's still an issue to this day is at first glance it looks like a nail sticker and people usually associate nail stickers with the stickers you get at the convenience store or just like the nail polish stickers that aren't good quality that kids use and so there's a huge just like trying to educate people and trying to get, especially since it's a new product in the market. Until this day, we meet people and we show them the product and they're like, oh, it's just just nail stickers. I've heard about this before. And we're like, no, it's not. Do you have like five minutes for me to explain it? And so that educational piece is really important for our particular business, just because we're creating a new category in the space, essentially. And then another thing is when we first launched we so we launched it to the audience that already heard about it in Korea. And so we were sort of the first US based semi care gel brand. And we had a lot of supply chain issues or like inventory issues, we didn't expect it to be that pop the brand in Korea, just to give you a benchmark, they did like 80 million their first year in 2020. And so we knew it was popular, but it really, we didn't realize, I guess, we just didn't have the correct inventory expectations slash management skills to yeah so then we sold out like twice when we first launched and we were out of stock for like pretty much every other month we'd be out of stock for a month and that really kind of hindered us and so now we've gotten the hang of it we bought so much product after that that there was no way we're going to sell out again because it does take two months to get new product so yeah it's just like a lot of just figuring out what works for this particular space and also educating people those were and to this day, I would say the education part is still a huge part of their business that we're trying to overcome. So, oh, yeah, definitely. But I mean, I'm glad to hear that you guys had sold out. And, you know, that's amazing news. I want to know, like, were you doing this just like at home or did you have a warehouse? Like, where were you operating most of all of the packing and everything like that? We were so scrappy. We were self funded fully initially. It was just me and my co founder, Kelly, and everything was in my little apartment. And I was, uh, I'm still living in, uh, uh, sorry, I'm living in Reno, Nevada. So I have an apartment. It was all in my room. I took a bunch of videos. It's all on TikTok. So you can kind of see the setup. So my entire room was just my warehouse and I would be the only one packing at the time. And yeah, we did everything just super scrappy. We hired a designer that we found on Instagram to help do our packaging and everything and our branding, the website. We just 
you know, found a free theme on Shopify. And so initially it was just, yeah, very scrappy. And then we eventually upgraded to a bigger warehouse. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. I mean, I'm so glad to hear that you guys have upgraded. I mean, it's, it's so amazing just hearing those like scrappy stories and like the first couple of months or years starting out your business. And like a lot of people started off in like their garage or like their bedroom or their dorm room or something like that. So it's just amazing to hear, you know, those like humble beginnings and then seeing how far you, you guys have come today. How did you guys come up with the name Jelsey? Yeah, so when we initially launched it, like I mentioned, we were selling press-on nails. And we actually had really, really good URL for that. It was called pressonshop.com. So eventually when we decided to not sell press-on nails anymore, we were still called press-on and people were getting confused because they would go to our website and think that it was press-on nails. And we tried to avoid changing the name for the longest time because, I mean, rebranding is just a lot of work. And we put so much time into growing that link already, our SEO for Press On Shop. So, yeah, we actually noodled on the name for months. We knew we needed to rebrand eventually, but we were pushing it off for the longest time. And we just couldn't figure out a name. And we, I mean, we had like, like hundreds of like potential names that we could have chosen. But I think Chelsea was just like, for me and my co-founder, the cutest, kind of a nonsense name, kind of like Etsy, just like a cute play on words. But then it also has the word gel in it. So it alludes to the fact that it's gel nails and the C just makes it sound cute. So really there's no deep meaning to it. We just like this name. We just thought it was the cutest and it kind of alludes to gel nails. So I love it. I think it's very creative and it's very, very cute and, and it's catchy too. So it's like when you have a really catchy name, people are more, you know, I feel like it's like a psychology thing where people are more inclined to like check it out. Can you talk me talk through like your routine? Because I mean, just being an entrepreneur, a small business owner, you are bombarded with so many things every single day. Like there's like fires like almost every other day. And it's just really hard to manage time when, you know, you don't have to like stick to a specific schedule or like just do things that someone tells you to do. So I want to know, like, can you walk me through what your day-to-day looks like and the routine you kind of set up for yourself? Yeah, I would say even till this day, everything is really ad hoc. It's like, oh, we need to get something done. Oh, let's talk about it right now. And so even, you know, best practice is you should do product meetings and plan out your product a year in advance. But because we have such a short lead time, 60 days to get product out, we usually do it maybe like 90 days in advance. So 30 days before we'll sort of have our product meetings. And so, man, the the day-to-day is so different. It's just because everything really is just like, what's the fire we need to figure out today? Like, oh, we need to get new products in. It's almost end of the year. It's going to be Black Friday. Let's talk about it now. We have like three weeks to get it in. And so then that will be the focus for the week. We'll just figure out our product for that week. And then, yeah, it could be a number of things, usually meeting with my, I mean, the work is really divided. So my co-founder, she's more of the person that focuses on content and the product. So if you look at our TikTok, it's like all her and she's killing it on TikTok. And then for me, I'm focusing more on our financial stuff, more like the boring business things. So I'll be meeting with our growth person who runs our ads, trying to figure out ad strategy, trying to figure out what content we need, like our influencer strategy. I kind of run the day-to-day of that. So just setting up the processes for that, just making sure we're getting at least like 
X amount of packages out, making sure we're getting the content that we need for our ads. What else do I do? <laughs> our email marketing, that's also something I do. So just like going through the emails that we want to launch each week. We're better about it now. We actually plan a month ahead now for the emails that we want to do, but it used to be super ad hoc. We'll just do, oh, we need to launch something this week. Let's get it on email. So yeah, I, we're still not the most organized, but at least now the roles are a little bit more divided between me and my co-founder because her strengths are content and like product. And then mine are more just like the growth side of things and more of like the businessy aspect. Yeah. Of it, so. yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, it's, I'm glad to hear that you guys kind of like figured out what your strengths are and kind of mm-hmm. divide and conquer. I like, we're the same way with Asia. And I feel like when we were just starting out, like the newsletters, we would just put anything what like whatever happened was happening that week we we're like oh shoot we gotta put it in a newsletter <laughs> but now we're getting kind of better at it where it's like okay if we have an event happening in three months we gotta start marketing it now if it's bigger we'll have to do it like six months in advance but I totally understand what you mean and like as you continue to you know scale and kind of put these systems and processes in place you just kind of get better at it but those are just like the struggles of like starting and operating a business how do you manage like burnout like I'm sure it's so busy every single day like have you and your co-founder ever like experienced burnout just running this company and how do you kind of like keep it low keep it on the low we have totally burned out especially last year when we were just starting and we're trying to make this into something out of nothing and for my co-founder she has a kid too so yeah we've both experienced burnout at different times like I'll notice when she's just not you know communicating as much or something and then I'll check in with her and she's like yeah I'm just you know burnt out or having a rough week and and then you know I'll understand and same with me I've, I've definitely had burnout before like if, especially when for example like earlier this year and I'm sure you've heard about the iOS updates and everything and for us like earlier this year our ads were just you know it was just wasn't working like anything we did it would not work no matter like what we tried and it really just really stressed me out a lot for like Q1, I would say. And yeah, I definitely experienced burnt out back then. I would just, and I'm still trying to figure it out to this day. I had, I don't have it figured out yet. Like, honestly, I still get burnt out, but now I'm just trying to take more time to myself. Like before I would always work on weekends, but now I'll still check my email and everything. But like on Sundays, I'm like, yeah, I'm not working or like I'll pick a day of the week where I just don't do anything aside from check emails. Or if I do, I just don't make it like a huge priority. Whereas, you know, usually I would just be on 24 seven, especially like earlier this year where I like totally burnt out. So yeah. So it's just, yeah, I don't have it fully figured out yet. I would, I mean, to be totally honest with you, but I'm trying to make it more of a top of mind thing and just make sure I, I make time for myself. Yeah, for sure. I feel like we're all trying to figure it out, you know, and it's like, especially just in these, you know, really rough times. And like, I like we're, we went through the same thing with the algorithm change and everything. Like, it was just so frustrating, just like wondering why none of our, you know, ads were, you know, getting the same amount of, you know, exposure as it did before. Or it's just really frustrating when you're like put in so much work and like the algorithm changes on like social media and your content is not getting out there. Right. But I think that happens with everyone. Um, and it's just the the nature of running a business. And I feel like, yeah, it's definitely really easy to fall into this like habit of working really hard every single day because you're so passionate about what you do. Right. And it's like you feel like you have to just move ahead and do something with it every single day. Otherwise, you're not moving. Um, 
But I feel like it is definitely really important for us to just like take a moment and like take a step back and really just like go for a walk and like, you know, do something that you enjoy doing. And that actually helps you recoup and like get yourself refreshed to Mm -hmm. actually come up with newer and more creative ideas for the next day. But it's not something that we think about all the time. Like it's not something we think about like, oh, I need to go for a walk, but we just have to do it. Right. Otherwise, we're just going to get burnt out really easily. But I'm glad to know that you're like you're figuring it out. And I think all of us are. Mm -hmm. So it's really important for us to like actually figure out what works best for us because what might work best for us might not work for another person and vice versa, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I did do like a little bit of researching and I found that you were a founding member of Dreamers and Doers. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you do for Dreamers and Doers? Oh, yeah. So, (laughs) okay. So it's just a, a, a a community of like female founders I'm not an actual founder. They require everyone to say that they're a founder because they just want to be, I don't know, democratic like that. So yeah, I'm, I was in that group, I would say since I want to say 2018 now. But yeah, I'm not a founder, just like full disclosure. But it's a great community, though, for people who want to just meet other female founders and connect with more people, I would say definitely join that group. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. So what's next for you, Florence? And what do you see? Where do you see Chelsea going in like the next five years? Like, do you plan on, you know, adding more products? And where do you see yourself in the next five years? Yes, 100%. I mean, right now, we are already launching new products. We're actually launching something in Urban Outfitters very soon in Q3. It will be a different product. It won't be nail stickers. So we're very excited about that. And yeah, we want to just do more. I mean, yes, we want to first make sure we do really well in the nail category, but we are already exploring different products. And it'd be really cool to just be just like a larger beauty brand that's doing different categories and things like that. I haven't exactly figured out what products we're going to do yet. We just kind of go by quarter by quarter. We kind of figure out, talk to our customers, see what they want and get a feel of it. So don't have an exact roadmap of what products we want to launch yet, but for sure our goal is to launch different products and kind of do more. And also, yeah, I'd love to do retail. I think that's our next step right now. We're fully focused on D2C. We're on Amazon. I mean, we're sort of doing retail. We're, we're doing Urban Outfitters, like I mentioned in Q3, Q3, end of Q3. So I think retail for 2024 in 2023 is what we're really focused on. And yeah, I mean, that's really, yeah, that, that's really it. So Amazing. Well, I can't wait to hear of all of those news for Chelsea. And I'm, I mean, I know for sure that it'll happen. So I can't wait to, to see, you know, more products coming out for Chelsea in the next few years. So we have one last question for you, Florence, that is, if you could give one advice to an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that one advice be? Okay, I would say that advice would be hire for areas that you're not good at or fill in the gaps of your weaknesses because you can't do it all. And I would say that's where I fell short. I tried to do everything and I, and I just burnt myself out. So figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are. And if, you know, there's something that is more administrative or that, you know, that someone can do better than you, or even if it's just something that you don't like to do, for example, I don't like doing content. So I'm so happy that my co-founder can kind of fill in that gap for me. So yeah, just make sure whoever you're working with can really just fill in those blanks that can really make your business whole. So 
Amazing. That's good advice. Thank you so much for sharing, Florence. And where can our listeners find out more about you and Chelsea online? Yes. So my Instagram is pretty boring. I don't post. The last time I posted was five years ago, but you're <laughs> welcome to add me. It's at Florence. It's just my name with two L's. And then on TikTok is where we're most active right now. It's at Get Chelsea. It's J-E-L-C-I-E. And also that's our Instagram as well. So awesome. I'll share all of that in the show notes of this episode. Florence, it was amazing having you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Of course. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.